So I want to talk today about persevering in the faith. Well, some time ago I watched on TV a chili eating contest and where contestants eat progressively hotter chilies. And the one who holds out the longest, so the one who ends up eating the hottest chili in this progression, gets a prize. And you can see them as they're eating these hotter and hotter chilies. They're, they're starting to sweat. The tears are coming down. And these guys are really struggling. And you see them, some grit their teeth and continue, but others inevitably would give up along the way. And for those who give up, they do so even knowing that there's a prize at the end. Well, why is that? It's because when the going gets tough and the pressure is really on, you know, there's a natural human tendency to want to give up, right? To want that suffering to end. You know, you say, that's it, I'm out. Well, in the same way as some of these uh, chili-eating contestants want to quit, uh, we can sometimes feel like we just want to give up on the Christian life. You know, after all, we know... uh, we know that there's a prize at the end, but living as a Christian can be tough, as we saw with Kenneth Bay in North Korea. You know, there is opposition to our values. There's opposition to our conduct, right, the way we live. When people see the way we live, there is sometimes a negative reaction. Has anybody experienced that in their life? Yeah. When we truly live as Christians, we will often see a negative reaction. When I was working in IT, I used to be a software developer and a software tester, I sometimes found myself in situations where the conversation among my work colleagues started innocently but became what I believe was inappropriate. Um, It was often sexual in nature and sometimes um, rude or derogatory towards some person or some group of people. And as I was in the group when these comments were made, others could see that my reaction to these comments were perhaps not what they would expect. Um, Many in the rest of the group would laugh along with the comments and and some were adding their own comments. Whereas I reacted in a way that made it clear that I was not going along with the comments. I was not in agreement with them. Um, And I'm not saying this to make out that I'm especially holy or better than anyone else. I make this point because of what happened next. You see, this happened a number of times, a number of different occasions, and... Um, each time after my response, there was a change in the dynamics of the group. So more specifically, there was, after that, there was a, a clear sense of distance between myself and the other members of the group. I mean, nothing was explicitly said, but just in the nature of the interactions that followed, it was clear that I was no longer in the in crowd. You know, there was a different vibe. I was now on the outside. So persevering in our faith can be tough, and it can come at a cost. And a natural human response might be something like, well, I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be in the in-crowd. You know, this, couldn't we just you know, relax a bit on some of the teachings in this faith, especially those that sort of leave us less popular with the crowd, that sort of leave us on the outside? Well, friends, God loves us too much to be happy for us to go down, ro- go down dead ends in our lives, right? to go down paths that are harmful or destructive in our lives. And when we let go of the truth of the gospel message, in other words, when we do not persevere, this is indeed destructive for us. And this is made clear in this passage here in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want 
I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, not any other gospel, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So notice the phrase, by this gospel you are saved. Here we see the word saved in the present tense. So the word salvation or saved comes from the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O, which refers to um, rescuing or delivering from danger. So I have to throw in a, a Greek word here and there just to make my wife Tina feel good about the thousands of dollars we're spending on my Bible college education. <laughs> just between you and me, I actually got that from a commentary at home that had nothing to do with my Bible college education. <laughs> so the Greek word sozo means delivering from danger or rescuing. And in its spiritual sense, it means deliverance from sin. And in this sense, salvation has three tenses, past, present, and future. In the past, we're talking about how we are saved from the penalty of sin, which is justification. And this refers to the once and for all work in which God delivers a sinner from the penalty of sin. Then in the present, it talks about being saved from the power of sin. And this is sanctification. And this second aspect of salvation is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in delivering us, God's people, from the power of sin, sanctification. And then third, we have, in the future, we will be saved from the presence of sin, and that's glorification. So this final aspect of salvation fills us with hope and anticipation because it promises that when God saves, he will one day deliver us from the very presence of sin. In other words, we'll be in an environment in which there is no sin, no corruption. So if we look again at the verse, it says, by this gospel you are saved. So saved there is used in the present tense. So this is referring to the process of sanctification. In other words, the perseverance we're talking about here is that of holding firm to the gospel message specifically in this case to the message of Christ resurrected. You see, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians because there had been deviation in the Christian church from the message of Christ resurrected. They were letting go of this incredibly important doctrine. <clears throat> and this message was crucial for the Corinthians' experience of this ongoing salvation, in other words, sanctification, the present tense sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So what he's saying is, if you let go of this doctrine, it cripples your sanctification, your, your maturing and growth as a Christian. And this applies just as much to us today, because to reject bodily resurrection, see, Jesus was resurrected bodily from the grave, and there were people back then who deny that, and there are many people today who will deny that. But to reject bodily resurrection actually removes the very essence of the gospel message and makes our faith vain, makes it futile, completely worthless because it has an unworthy object. See, if Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith has an unworthy object. So what can we say about that? Well, we can say that believing the gospel includes holding firmly to belief in Christ's resurrection. Believing the gospel includes holding firmly to belief in Christ's resurrection. 
And we see this idea again in Hebrews chapter 3, where it says, We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Now the phrase, we have come to share in Christ, might be more literally translated, we are partners with the Christ. And it speaks of the supreme privilege we'll have of of shared dominion over the created order in which uh, the Christ is destined to rule. But notice there's a condition with that. This privilege depends on continuing fidelity on our part. It says, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So we see there are warnings against a lack of perseverance. But there's also a positive side. There are concrete benefits that come with perseverance. So in this next passage, the context is Paul talking about knowing Christ, being in relationship with him, being united with him through faith. And he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. See, Paul, as mature as he was as a Christian, realized he wasn't there yet. So I haven't arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Notice the intensity here, right? He's, he's on a mission, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. See, this is not a, this is not a casual half-hearted effort. If you read anything, pretty much, that the Apostle Paul has written, you realize that he doesn't do things in a half-hearted way. There's focus, there's intensity about it. And there needs to be focus and intensity about our walk of faith. But what's, what's this prize he's talking about? Well, the Greek games are kind of like the Olympics. Um, must have been on Paul's mind as he wrote about the prize. Because the winner in those games was called to the place where the judge sat in order to receive the prize. So Paul may here may have referred to ultimate salvation in God's presence. Ultimate salvation in God's presence or to receiving rewards at uh, the judgment seat of Christ. And these rewards are not like a box of roses chocolates kind of reward. These are some stunning rewards that we can we cannot even imagine. So we've seen some reasons why we should persevere, but how do you do it? See, it's not very helpful just to say you should stick it out, hang tough, and persevere in your faith. It, you know, it's, it's all very well to say that, but it's actually not very helpful. Um, there's an American preacher called Rick Warren at Saddleback Church. Who's heard of Rick Warren? Quite a few. So Saddleback Church is one of the biggest churches in the States, um, and Rick Warren... Uh, when he was young, he listened to thousands and thousands of messages. His father was a preacher, and he would listen to not just messages from his father, but also those from quite a few other preachers. And uh, often he would find himself, he'd listen to a message, and you know, he'd have his sermon notes, and he'd find himself writing in the margin of his notes, YBH, YBH, YBH. Yes, but how? Yes, but how? Because so often he'd hear himself hearing something that he should do as a Christian. Right, you should do this, you should do that. But there was no instruction as to how to do it. So he'd say, well, yeah, okay, I should do that. Okay, but how? How do I do this? Well, 
at New Hope, we want to give you the how because we realize it's not very useful to come away from a message with maybe a, a list of things you should do, but with absolutely no guidance on how to do them. So let's take a look at how we can persevere. Firstly, we persevere through encouragement. We persevere through encouragement. Hebrews chapter 3, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Now, the phrase, as long as it is called today, you'll notice that in the passage there, as long as it is called today, alludes to the today in Psalm 95 verse 7. And it means something like, while you still have opportunity. Actually, uh, Joshua, who just got up to speak before, he has a Chinese language Bible, and, and it expresses the phrase this way, as long as there is today. And uh, Joshua pointed out to me that there are two implications from this phrasing. First is that it means as long as you still have today, in other words, while you are still alive. And secondly, it's referring not to the past or the future, but to today, right, to the present. So what this is saying is, if the opportunity is there, don't delay. Do it. Get on it. So why is it so important to encourage? Well, if we take a look at that, uh, that verse there, verse 13 answers the question. It says, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, sin has a hardening effect. It hardens our hearts. It makes us less sensitive to God and his leading. And ultimately, it takes us away from him and his purposes for our lives. So we've looked at why we should encourage. But who should we encourage? Well, note how that passage begins. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters. So the writer here is referring to believers. So does this mean we should not give words of encouragement to those who don't believe? Not at all. But this passage makes it clear that it is of primary importance that we encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ to hold to their faith. Why is that? Well, we've just seen the the huge amount of opposition there is from the world. We all need encouragement to resist that opposition. But let's not move away from this too quickly because sometimes I think we look at a verse like this and we don't see it the way we should. So let me illustrate my point with a a comparison. So if I I lied yesterday, how would I feel about that? I think I would feel pretty convicted uh, since the Bible makes it clear that this is wrong. So in other words, there is very clearly a command, not a suggestion, but a command from the Word of God to not lie. But wait a minute. If we take another look at that verse we just looked at, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Isn't this also clearly a command from the word of God? Is there, is there anything in that verse that indicates that it's a suggestion? Well, not that I can see. So I think there's a tendency for us to see these two things differently. You know, sort of, yeah, lying and stealing, sure. I know those things are wrong, but encouraging, well, you know, if, if I get the chance, I'll do it. But if not, yeah. No big deal. Well, 
That's, I think, often kind of how we see it. But as I look at this verse, I don't think it gives us the freedom to see it that way. This is a command from God. Now, I don't think the point is to be legalistic about this and say, well, I've done my one piece of encouraging for the day, so tick, done. All finished. I think the key is to always be looking for opportunities to encourage other believers. And I think that if this is the norm, if this is the sort of general attitude and approach that you have to life, then it will be rare that a day will go by when you don't have a single opportunity to encourage somebody else. In fact, if this is your approach to life, I think you'll find that you find, you'll have many opportunities each day to encourage others. So that brings up a challenge for each of us. Are we doing this? As individuals and as a church, are we doing this? Are we encouraging those around us? I think each of us should ask ourselves, am I doing this? Am I encouraging my Christian and brothers and sisters daily? So here at New Hope, we have a number of small groups. We talked about those before. Um, and this is where we get together uh, midweek, and a big part of this is, is fellowship and prayer and encouragement. And this is great. This is so important. And by the way, if you'd like to know more about the small groups we have here, just make a note on the communication card, and uh, we'd love to get in touch with you about that. Because the reality is, when we, when, we meet, when we meet midweek, we're saying, well, yeah, Sunday's good, but we recognize that things can get tough through the week as well. So we need that ongoing encouragement. In fact, the reality is that everybody needs encouragement. And by the way, that includes pastors too. So encourage pastors Ian, Ben, and Joshua, because these guys lead this church. Right? And there's a lot of responsibility that comes with leading a, congreg- a congregation. So you know, encourage them in their work. But how do we do this? How do we encourage? Well, there are many ways we can do it, but, but three come to mind. First of all, get to know people. Right? Get to know people. Because it's encouraging for people simply to know that you care enough to get to know them. So set aside time to get to know people. Maybe just invite them over for a meal or a coffee. Um, and, and you just show people in that way that, that you care about them because you're making time for them. Um, the second one that comes to mind is look for opportunities. And this ties in with the first one, getting to know people. Because once you start to get to know someone, and this ties in with the small groups as well, once you start to find out a little bit about what's going on in their life, you'll almost certainly see some opportunities for encouraging them. And thirdly, be specific. Be specific in your encouragement. For example, if I was speaking to, uh, to Joshua, then rather than say something general like, well, Joshua, you're doing, doing a great job with the youth, I think it would be far more meaningful to say something like, you know, Joshua, I'm really impressed with how you develop members of the youth, members of the youth group to become youth leaders. You're great at spotting potential and developing it, which Joshua is. But when you're specific, I think that's far more meaningful. And we can summarize these things by saying, be intentional in your encouragement. Because you know what? We'll almost never be encouraging by accident. Right? We don't stumble into being encouraging. It's not like you'll be talking to someone and then go, oh, look at that, I was just encouraging and I didn't even mean to be. It generally doesn't happen. Be intentional in your encouragement. So get to know people, look for opportunities, and be specific. 
A second way that we can encourage is um, uh, that we can be uh, persevering in our faith is to pay careful attention to what you've heard. Pay careful attention to what you've heard. And we'll see in a minute specifically what we need to pay attention to. Um, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So these are some strong words. I mean, it would be strong even to say we must pay careful attention. But the writer doesn't stop there. He says we must pay the most careful attention. In other words, he's saying whatever else you might miss, do not miss this. But what is he referring to that's so important? Well, the use of the word therefore indicates we need to go back to what was written immediately before. And since, since this is at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2, we of course need to go back to look at chapter 1, where the writer of Hebrews talks about how far above the angels is the Son. In other words, he's talking about the supremacy of Jesus. And the writer finishes the chapter by referring to the final victory Christ will have over his enemies. So he's saying, look, given the importance of these realities, the reader should pay careful attention to them. Why? What can happen if you don't? Well, there's a danger of you drifting away from what you've heard. Because the reality is this. Yes, Satan is powerful, but nowhere near as powerful as Jesus. The final victory will belong to Jesus. We talked before about the power and the name of Jesus. Satan quakes at the name of Jesus because there is power in that name. And when you keep that in mind, in other words, when you are driven by eternity and what you know about... Because reality is heading in one direction, okay? Where we've had... Um, We've seen in biblical history, we've seen a development through Abraham and the patriarchs. Reality is heading in one direction, right? History is heading towards a conclusion. And when you keep in mind where reality is going, that the ultimate victory will belong to Jesus, this is a powerful way of holding on to your faith, a powerful way of persevering in your faith. So pay careful attention to what you've heard. In this case, Jesus' power and ultimate victory. So we've seen two ways to persevere in our faith, through encouragement and by paying careful attention to what you've heard. We're going to finish by looking at a short passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that has three more ways to persevere in your faith. And here, here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, note the words, run with perseverance. See, the Christian life is pictured as a long-distance race, not a short sprint. Because some Hebrew Christians were tempted to drop out of the contest because of persecution. And we see this today. There are countries where there is massive persecution of Christians. Um, China, North Korea are just two. And it must be very tempting for some of those people to drop out. And we need to pray for those people, encourage them, 
because we can do that from here. We can't be in those countries, but we can pray for them. So we see from this passage three ways we can persevere in our faith. Number one, set aside everything that hinders. Set aside everything that hinders. Well, what could hinder us as Christians? Well, actually many things. But uh, here are just two as examples. Busyness. Right? Busyness hinders us temporarily. In other words, in terms of our time. I don't know if you noticed, but everybody is busy these days. You just walk around and ask people how their week was. Oh, busy. So busy. There's just almost an epidemic of busyness going on in society today. Uh, Secondly, unhealthy relationships. Again, this is just another example. But unhealthy relationships hinder us emotionally. So you may have some relationships in your life where you know it's not healthy for you. I need to um, put some distance there or maybe even cut it off. So if you, if you are in that situation, just pray about that and see what God is telling you to do. Because sometimes freeing yourself from an unhealthy relationship can give you a huge leap forward in your faith. It can cut you free from what's holding you back. So set aside everything that hinders. Secondly, set aside the sin that entangles But wait a minute, does setting aside or throwing off sin mean we must achieve sinless perfection? Because looking at first in first John one verse eight, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So sin is part of our lives. Clearly we're not expected to be completely without sin. So what then is Paul meaning when he says we are to throw off sin? Well he's meaning that Yeah, sure, we may slip up from time to time, but sin should not be habitual in our lives. It should not be the norm for us as believers. So set aside everything that hinders, set aside the sin that entangles, and third, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Just as Kenneth Bay did when he was in North Korea, he fixed his eyes on Jesus. Because just as a runner concentrates on the finish line, we should concentrate on Jesus, who is the goal and objective of our faith. Why is that? Because Jesus has given us the perfect model of perseverance, despite the opposition and even the persecution that he faced. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Hang on a minute, let's not gloss over that too quickly. See, Roman crucifixion was absolutely savage. If anybody has studied uh, what first century Rome, Roman Empire was like, or anybody who's watched the film The Passion of the Christ, who's seen that, by the way? The Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson. So you've probably noticed that Roman crucifixion is pretty brutal. In fact, um, how it's portrayed in that movie is actually not an exaggeration at all. If anything, it's an understatement of just how savage Roman crucifixion was. Jesus went through that and he did it out of his love for us. So he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And what was the outcome? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this passage says that as Christians, we should reflect on this, reflect on these these two parts of this. See, verse 3 says, Consider him, 
Consider means think about this, reflect on it. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is saying that we as believers should think about this and reflect on it because when we consider what Jesus went through, right, the, the physical, emotional, and the spiritual torment that he went through as part of his, his trial, his crucifixion, and his death, and then consider, on the other hand, the outcome, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is hugely encouraging for us because just as with Christ, whatever suffering, whatever persecution you're going through or will go through in your life, there is unimaginable glory waiting for you if you persevere in your faith. Let's pray. Lord, Open our eyes, I pray, to the immense importance of walking in community with our Christian brothers and sisters and of encouraging each other daily in the context of that community. And Lord, give us resolute determination to pay careful attention to what we have heard, in particular regarding the supreme power of Jesus and the ultimate victory that will be his. And as we reflect on these realities, may we be encouraged in our faith because we know how history ends. I pray also for the strength to set aside everything that hinders, whether it's busyness, unhealthy relationships, or anything else, and to throw off the sin that so often entangles and derails us in our faith journey. Jesus, we praise you for your perseverance in the face of immense opposition and persecution. And I pray that by your spirit in us, we would keep our eyes fixed on you as our model, our perfect example of endurance and perseverance in faith. Father, mold us, I pray, into people of spiritual backbone and depth, people of character, as we apply these methods from your word so that we would persevere in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray.